It's the intentionality over everything. When we make a claim as a company, as a service, as a consultant, like we can get blank or we can help you blank. It's our job to design a journey that gets everybody there and allows nuance to happen so that it can be iterated at their own pace. And when you do that and you understand that, what most people would consider novelty is your secret weapon to depth. And most people will not be able to explain why they are ruthlessly addicted to you and your brand. The way we think about customers and growth is changing. Welcome to Customer Lifetime Value University podcast. Our goal here is simple. In under 30 minutes, we aim to give you an implementable strategy to increase your customer lifetime value. That's it. No fluff, all strategy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to class. I'm incredibly excited to have George here with me. And when I asked George his title, he told me that he is called the Teddy Bear of Truth or the Chief Heart Marketer. So uh, those are the titles we're going to go with because that's what he provided. But George, thanks for hopping on with me. Man, I'm so stoked to do this again. Love it. So George, take a moment, give people a little bit of background of you and kind of where you're coming from to kind of set the stage here. Yeah, for sure. So I think I've lived 25 lifetimes in one. I was an active duty Marine. I was a New York Times bestseller, launched an app. I was a food blogger. I was a digital marketing consultant. I built customer journeys. I own all my own businesses. And one through line has made it all the way through is that whenever I did business the wrong way, i.e. transactional, broken, upsells, downsells, it always led to either bankruptcy, misery, or depression. And I learned that lesson a long time ago that when I actually started caring about people, caring about their results, and caring about customers, I made a lot of money, I made a massive impact, and I have no problem sleeping at night anymore. So now, the easiest way to describe what I do is I empower entrepreneurs to deepen their love affair with their customers, to build world-class customer journeys, email marketing, and master the art of relationships and really understand that relationships are the key to building and scaling a profitable business from the get-go. I love that. And that's why I'm super excited to have you on because I think we're going to get into the heart of how we tactically go out and actually build those relationships. So one of the things I always like to kind of start with is how you kind of think about approaching customer lifetime value. Because we've had a handful of guests already on the show and some people say, you got to start at churn. That's the entry point. Other people say, no, it's actually right at the beginning. It's the point of sale. It's how you position your pricing. So there's a lot of different kind of philosophies on what is that like round one thing that you walk in and you start tackling right off the bat. How do you think about that? I love this question. So basically, I'm going to build the Truman Show and the only way out is to get a restraining order against me. And that's my get-go is that I've done all of it. I've come from churn, I've come from touch point, but I realize that the greatest weapon we have, and I mean a weapon of good, is time. Time is the most underutilized asset that entrepreneurs have in their arsenal, and they're afraid to use it because we live in this transactional dopamine hit society. And so I approach all customer journeys in time. And what I ask myself is like, if Casey becomes a customer of mine, or if you become a customer, how long do I want you in my life? And the answer is forever until you realize you don't want to do business anymore or you want to sell. And so once I understand that, it frees me up to actually build and design things that make actual long lasting changes and aren't about like right now. And so I look at the container of like, what is the the minimum effective time for me to get the maximum effort or result for you. And so I'll look at it. If like I'm helping you write your first email, I don't need a 10 year customer journey. And I was like, but I also don't need to do it in a day. Why don't I titrate this out and do it over 45 to 60 days and help change habits and behaviors. And so 
I base my decisions on the intrapersonal relationships, like really empathizing with my customer, understanding that most customers who come to us aren't coming from a place of my life works, it's so great, it's so easy, I have six hours a day to change my business. Typically it's coming from a place of everything's broken, the world is burning down, this isn't working. I can't find five minutes to poop on the toilet, never mind an hour to consume content every day. And so I try to match my journey based on an understanding of where most of my people will be in their journey. And I use time to build momentum, to get deeper endowment, to then help catapult their results. And so as a data guy, I've gone through all of the churn and all of it. And now it's funny, every time I prioritize the human, it works every time. And so one of my hacks is like, I ask my five-year-old son and my 17-year-old daughter. And so I'll ask them their opinions on stuff. And I'll ask my 17 year old, cause she's intelligent, she's honest, and she really doesn't like her time wasted. I'm like, hey baby, I'm doing something. What do you think about this? And she's like, why would you, why would you do that so much? Like that's overwhelming. I'm like, oh, time to slow it down, right? And I, I use the human element as it is. And I think if you take that and you pair it with data and you pair it with churn, what you're gonna find is that there's a natural proclivity for human relationships. Like none of us like meeting somebody in a bar and you ask the worst loaded question you can ask, like, what do you do for a living? And then you have a 17 minute diatribe and you're like, get me out of here, right? Like you're 911 texting your friend. So I think the first touch point matters, but it doesn't matter to me any more than the second or the fifth or the eighth or the 20th. What matters to me is that it's consistent and congruent and that me as a leader figured out the most effective container to create for somebody to get the best result or at least move forward towards their goal. So that might sound a little esoteric, but I, I speak about it in relationship terms because I've learned that in my marriage, in my parenting, I might want my wife or my kids to go at a certain pace, but I have zero control over that. But if I create a container, and an environment that pulls them into that and they go at their own speed, they're going to get there and they're going to get there confident and excited rather than overwhelmed and upset. And so those are the principles that I bring in. Yeah, I love that. And I think that shifting that focus onto them, right? Which I think, I mean, that's one of the main things I'm pulling away from what you just said is that this is highly specialized to the individual and this kind of thing. And so in your eyes, having kind of a a generic, it's all about first touch or it's all about this or it's all about that, doesn't quite do justice to the nuance of these kind of relationships as they go out. And I love that idea of bringing in the kids, but just totally outside voices. There's a book called, I think it's called like Mom's Test, that really talks about this exact concept of really trying to get someone who's totally out of your world, get them to weigh in because that feedback can often be incredibly illuminating. I wanted to validate what you said as you synthesize so well is that when it's in there, I'm not saying like you can't set a container for somebody to accomplish something in 30 days, but you have to realize that even out of 100 people, only 10 will follow it as needed. The other ones have life and everything else. And so the rigidity of it looking a certain way is actually what creates more reactants in our customers and pushes them further away. Because now they're like, oh, I'm so bad and I'm wrong. And I'm like, no, no, no. The way that I look at customer journey is build the Truman Show. Right, And that means that you're in my world at your pace, but no matter what, you can't get out. Like nothing's gonna happen to you. No one's gonna attack you because I have you in the world. But when that happens, it changes the dynamic of the relationship to a place of empowerment, right? It's give them a fish, teach them how to fish, right? Our job is done when the client 
has implemented what we've taught them and thought it was their idea. And that's what positively attributes to LTV because no customer who starts something and buys something and then feels bad, wrong, guilt, shame, or blame is like, oh, I can't wait to buy the next course. And they sure as shit aren't gonna buy it when they're like, oh my God, they said I should do it in seven days and it's taken me 14 and I didn't. I'm such a failure. Now they're telling me to buy something else, but I didn't finish the first one. And so personalization at scale is understanding that you're solving for everybody, but you're creating a container that no matter what pace they're working at, they're either moving towards that goal or they're collecting evidence or touch points to have confidence to do it, but it's at their own pace, knowing there's a beginning and an end as a unit of measure. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And I think that time-bound aspect of it is important once you've kind of defined that individually with them. And I want to dig into kind of like the specific tactical pieces or things that you feel like are most impactful around relationships because everyone talks about relationships and one of the things i found is it just means totally different things to different people you see so many websites that say we're all about relationships we're all about relationships and you know there's 30 different ways that they're defining that and i've always been impressed with the uh, first off how quickly you built a relationship in with bonjoro and our team when we started interacting but just what i've seen in your body of work overall So walk me through how you kind of think about that. What does relationship mean to you? And where do you start in helping people create those relationships with their customer bases? God, that's a loaded one. You might have to repeat the last part, but I got most of it and I will remember, but I I love this question. So first, let me tell you what I don't think a relationship is. I don't think a relationship is broadcasting content, somebody liking it and us not engaging. I don't think a relationship is you walk by somebody on the street, exchange no pleasantries. That's not a relationship. And so I feel like there's a lot of words thrown around. Like when someone's like, oh, let me be authentic. I'm like, well, now I know you're not, right? Like, thanks for telling me, right? Or my wife's favorite is like, let me be honest. And I'm like, well, have you been lying to me for the last six hours, right? And so what I understand is that a lot of us services solutions, products, it doesn't really matter. We all have competitors. And a lot of us have the same frameworks, the same modalities, but what makes us unique is our ability to deliver it, which is all predicated on a relationship. And so what I look for is that every opportunity is to take it one step deeper than everybody else. And so everybody, and I mean everybody sends order receipts out when somebody buys something. And I'm like, cool, well the touch point's already there. How can I take it one step deeper than everybody else? Insert bonjour. Now I add a video and all of a sudden where most people are actually not deepening, extending or helping a relationship, it's just a numb unintentional point. I add a video, I took a relationship five levels deeper than anybody else and now I have to actually have less touch points in the future because I have such a deep relationship from the beginning. And so what I look for is I look for what I call everybody's kind of like natural tendencies, right? I, I think if you sit down and you watch somebody scroll Instagram, you can see how mindless it is until something captures their attention, right? It's swipe, 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 double click, read. Swipe, swipe, swipe. And so I don't think a relationship is anything where you can fall into an existing pattern. So if they're swiping and swiping and swiping and swiping, it's not gonna help me. So if they're getting 100 DMs a day, and they're all pitches and via text, and I drop in a 10 second video, well, all of a sudden, I actually save myself time because it would have taken me 30 seconds to type the message. They get a video and everybody else sent them a text message. They can read my language, my emotions, everything in between, and it deepens the relationship without them even realizing it. And so what I look for is at every touch point in a customer journey, a place to add humanity into it. 
right? And so it's a video, it's a handwritten note, it's a, you know, dropping a personal email in the mail, it's, you know, throwing an extra thing in their box when the customer service team or the shipping team is writing it out. It's like, hey, Casey, love it. Oh, by the way, we enjoyed packing this one. Here's a sticker, George and George, right? It's that one next step. And what I've found is that when we do this intentionally, it stands out because everybody is checking the same box and they're not really building relationships. They're just adding to the noise that's there. And so a good quote unquote tactic is asking ourselves like where in our customer journey, where in our business, where in our customer's life cycle, would it benefit them and benefit us to deepen a touch point? That's why I love Bonjoro so much. Like I, you guys know I'm like one of your biggest raving fans and I yeah. use it all the time because if somebody goes and buys something, they're in a heightened emotional state, could be a big commitment to a health goal or to a product or to a service and everybody's going to send the same thing it's just a receipt i'm like why can't i just send a 30 second video saying welcome to the family and it's so good to have you and if i need to do it at scale i remove the name and i use a roll up and i send it at 50 people at a time but no sure. matter what that human element deeper endows that customer into the journey that we co-created together and so what i start to think about is like okay cool you and i are on a call most people will do this podcast, jump off of it, and not follow up. I'm gonna get off this call, record a Loom video, put in an email, and I'm gonna send it to you and thank you. Why not, right? I'm yeah. gonna reach out to your CEO and be like, why the hell don't I have a pink bear suit yet, bro? What's going on, right? Like, I'm gonna find ways to make sure that in the noise of the world that I'm standing out. And so, like, you think about email. It's really, really simple. If your customer service team or your shipping team is already, and I mean already packing boxes and having to verify a label, would it be really hard for them to record a 10 second video of them putting your shipping receipt in the box and sealing it and then popping that in a bonjour or emailing it to anyone? Probably takes yeah. less time, right? But think about what that does for the customer. Think about that experience and the depth when everybody else is like, hey, I know you bought a product two days ago, but you forgot something, buy some more. No, like, hey, we shipped it. This is who packed it. This is who put it in. And so the way I look at relationships, especially in the digital world, is where can I insert more human to human and have it feel less transaction, email, text message, blank, and have it feel like it's a friend coming in. And so that's yeah. kind of how I go about it. And it's like, cool, like, Give an example on social media. Everyone's like, George, nobody engages with my content. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I have like 70 people who like my post and two comments. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? They're like, well, I'm posting more. And I was like, bro, 70 people liked it. And they're like, well, what do I do? I'm like, go click on each one of them and send them a video saying, thanks for liking my post. You want to know what happens is the next time you post, 12 of them comment because that. of that one touch point. And I was like, you had 70 people raise their hand and say, I liked what you put out, but there was something missing to get them to comment. And a lot of, oh, it's my caption. I'm like, what if you just haven't initiated a relationship yet? Yeah, I think one of the things I'm hearing, I think across all of this is, yeah, just the power of novelty. And I feel like all of us see this across our life experience in so many different dimensions that novelty captures attention and almost gives you the opportunity then to take those initial steps. It's like, it's not just about the novelty because if it's novelty and then a bad experience, that doesn't work. But if novelty grabs the attention is what I'm hearing. And then you carry through with it. And, and I think it's also, you know, almost a culture of how you do business. You know, before we hopped on this recording, you were talking about how you have this new studio. And you were saying that when people, when your clients come over, if they need to shoot something in your fancy high-end studio, you would just pull them in. And it's just this extra value add that makes them that much more excited that they have this extra piece of value 
that they're able to pull away from that interaction or that experience. And it just keeps leveling up how you're perceived in terms of your value contributed. And that's kind of like this pathway to building that long-term customer lifetime value. That's that's what I'm kind of hearing from it. And, and to give it even more, everyone's like, well, that doesn't work for e-commerce brands. I'm like, that's exactly how I build billion dollar e-commerce brands is everybody is selling a supplement I'm using the supplement to build a relationship and then I'm helping you with your sleep and your energy and your mood and your parenting and your conversations and your mindset and your meditation because now that I've poached all that real estate in your life ethically, I might sell a collagen, but because I'm the one who introduced you to breath work, every time you go to breath work, you're going to think about me and my collagen. You're going to tell people about me and it doesn't take anything more from me because our relationship is established on, like I own a supplement company, like a few of them. You buy my supplement, I teach you how to use it, you keep using it. Well, I don't wanna stop talking to you because we have an existing relationship. So I'm like, where else can I talk to him? I'm like, well, if he wants my supplement for energy, Maybe if I help him sleep better, well, let's see if they like sleep content. Let's see if they like movement. Maybe I should form a meetup or do community meetups. And then all of a sudden, my product became the entry point into a deeply committed to a relationship to where my biggest needle movers in every single one of my companies is my existing customers drive more sales than any other channel I have because they're out talking about it or they sent this or if you sought this or they threw this in the box or did you know this? And it's actually using the established relationship, whether it's Bonjoro or a consulting service or even chiropractic patients, right? Like, I love when people throw challenges at me and they're like, well, I sell batteries. What do I do? I'm like, oh my God, this is the easiest one. But like chiropractors, it's like, okay, cool. Massage therapists, physical therapists, right? The biggest problem in those industries is that most people only do the work when they're in the office, right? And it actually makes it hard on the PT to get results because they're not doing the work in between. And so then they're stuck with these patients that can't go positively talk about their experience because what are they gonna say? I've been in PT for 12 weeks and I haven't been doing my exercises so it still hurts? No, they're gonna say my PT isn't working at all and they're not that good. But if I simply go back to the beginning, and I did this with my PT by the way, this is an actual thing that she got mind blown. And I was leaving my appointment and she's like, okay, cool. Here's the exercises I need you to do. And here's the worksheet. And I was like, God, you're just like everybody else. Can you please stop printing worksheets that everybody throws in the trash? And she's like, okay, hold on. And I was like, all right, cool. Will you do me a favor? I took out my phone and I said, show me what I need to do. And then tell me how often I need to do this. And so I recorded it. And then I said, cool, give me your phone. I airdropped it to her. And then I wrote four emails. I wrote one thanking me for the appointment today, including the worksheet and including the video. And then I wrote another one for three days later saying, hey, how's it going? Even if you can only get five minutes in a day, this is what I want you to do. If you have any questions, email me back. And then I sent the week after exercise and it was all automated, it took me five minutes. But now she's controlling what people do in their appointments and outside of their appointments. So now when I'm in my living room stretching, and doing my exercises and my girlfriend comes up, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, my physical therapist is amazing. Like she helps me in the office. And then she even texts me and emails me every three days to make sure I'm doing these at home so I feel better and I'm actually making progress. Now all of a sudden, you know, Susie's over here telling all of her girlfriends where their bodies are broken and how she can help them by introducing them to Sierra. But yet all we did was give them what they would have had but delivered it in a way that gave them the best chance of success and it just so happens that it increases my touch points, it increases my brand awareness, the social triggers on the top of the brain, 
they're going to be a better patient, they're gonna get faster results. They can then go talk about those results and bring more patients in, and I actually reduced my workload. Yeah, that's the crazy part. Well, that's wild, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff there, but I mean, the last thing you're kind of hitting at and how you deliver content, how you deliver messaging, how you deliver that overall journey with people is super important. And they almost it almost ties back into novelty too, right? Because people are so used to the generic, unexciting, kind of lame experience, right? The standard receipt, the standard, like you just get a worksheet and go off. You know, I've been through PT, exact same thing. I think that's how 99% of PTs probably operate. Here's your little printout, go do it. So breaking that flow is is powerful. The other thing that you talked about that I thought was really interesting and I think is so important is you, one of the concepts you were talking about, which is connecting people to other related products. You're talking about upselling, but it's in such a different framing. You know, when you say upsell, it's such a negative, people think like this negative connotation with upselling, right? But you're framing it in a completely different context where it's all value-based and it's just, how can I become more involved in solving problems for you? And I think that's almost a lesson in and of itself is how do you switch that dynamic from, you know, the, the lame upsell, which is just like in your face, buy this and buy this and buy this versus let me kind of get to know you and then let me see how I can work inside of that ecosystem. I think that's a that's a powerful lesson for people to walk away with. Yeah, it's the grocery store model, right? Grocery stores don't make any money by running advertisements to tell you, you have to buy this at this moment for this price. They pick the things that entice you, they hope that you're hungry, and then they create a store that has an environment that's inviting to walk around by placing things in certain areas, and then you shop at your own delight coming in and adding it to your cart until you come back to the next experience, right? It's a choose your own adventure. And the reason I focus so much on relationships and the word container that I use is that I'm building grocery stores except all I need is for you to be in it. It doesn't matter to me how fast you shop, how many items go in your cart, how many breaks you take, what you pick up and you put down. All that matters is that when you walk in the door, you have the experience required to get exactly what you need. And when you walk out, you're excited to come back. And that's what I kind of own and control in that whole way. So yeah, upsells, profit maximizers, all of that stuff. When you understand that time is your greatest asset, you don't create a bad emotional experience when somebody buys something and you upsell them three more times, but when you buy something and you help them get the result and then you're like, hey, how's your sleep? And the God, I use help. It's an invitation. It's a consent-based relationship, which literally in my data-driven experience has done nothing less than Forex every one of my companies that I touched this. Like I just finished this with one company, $2 million a year, top line, $2 million a year, no acquiring new customers. We changed the email sequence to 30 days. And so when we sold said product, the first 30 days was about just using that product and it's a CBD. So we helped them use it. Then we talked about sleep and nutrition and hydration and water. Well, we waited six months. It realized $1.1 million in revenue with no new customers. So we literally went from 2 million a year to 3.1 million without acquiring one new customer by taking what is normally done in a day and turning it sideways for 30 and adding touch points and holding them accountable. And here's the beautiful part. They went and bought all their other products themselves. We didn't even mention them. They were just like, oh my God, and they bought this and then they had this and then they were like, could you guys help with this? And we're like, oh, we have an affiliate link for that. Here you go. And it's the most beautiful part and it's the intentionality over everything, right? It's the intentionality over everything. When we make a claim as a company, as a service, as a consultant, like we can get blank or we can help you blank. 
It's our job to design a journey that gets everybody there and allows nuance to happen so that it can be iterated at their own pace. And when you do that and you understand that, what most people would consider novelty is your secret weapon to depth. And most people will not be able to explain why they are ruthlessly addicted to you and your brand. I love it. I love it. So many powerful takeaways. George, we need to wrap up. I feel like we could chat for three hours. Yeah, I know. I'm shocked here. that we've got so much in 24 minutes because I would normally go for like two hours and you know this already. <laughs> I do. I do. But we packed in. This was a ton of amazing insight. As a parting note, anyone who wants to get a hold of you, George, is there a best channel to connect with you to chat more about what you do? Yeah. If you want to see how this works, I'll make it easy. DM me on Instagram. I'll show you. My Instagram is it's George Bryant. If you need customer journey, tell me, I'll send you a free training. If you need email, tell me, I'll send you a free training. If you need help, tell me, I'll send you a free training. But here's the deal. You gotta send me a DM first and then I will send you whatever you want. So be bold, ask, and you sell receive. So my Instagram is it's George Bryant. Shoot me a DM, you'll see this smiling face, probably pink shoes, pink background, and that's the game, man. I love it, George. As always, grateful for your chat. Coming here to chat, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Customer Lifetime Value University podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Bonjoro, the world's first customer loyalty platform, giving you the tools to create customer loyalty and leverage that loyalty to improve your customer lifetime value. 